0: So, I mean, I I look at a business like um, a wagon, right? So, there's someone that's pulling the wagon or pushing it, and that's the CEO. Now then, the thing that actually allows the wagon to move is the four wheels. And you need someone that's going to run accounting, finance, and call it like ops. That's all one role in the business. Um, You need someone that's going to run marketing. You need someone that's going to run sales. You need someone that's going to do the technical interview. Welcome to Babson Built where we showcase Babson founders and entrepreneurs, people who have tried, failed, and tried again. They're the changemakers, the disruptors, the hustlers, and the builders. These are their stories. Super
1: happy to have uh, Enrico Palmerino here today been trying to get you in for a while. Babson underground student, triple major, right? St- started multiple businesses here at Babson, is now the founder of Botkeeper. So I want to, before we get to Botkeeper, so I'm super excited about that. I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself, maybe tell us about the um, your time here at Babson. So yeah, uh, I'm Enrico Palmarino,
0: uh, graduated in 2011, uh, Tower member since freshman year. And, you know, I think Babson was just the perfect place for me. I, I knew I wanted to I start my own business, run my own company. I also knew I have, you know, major A D D and so focus and stuff can be a challenge. So small classes with a professor that would know if I was there or not was also good. And you know, I just liked uh, I think a lot of the aspects of the flexibility that Babson provided. Uh didn't attend every class and have my professors to thank for not, you know, failing me out for that, but, you know, I think uh, kind of the mantra here is if you're doing something entrepreneurial and building a business, it's very representative of Babson, so they want to, like, enhance and help you out in that process, and so, you know, kind of on that note, I started a company for sophomore year called Think Light, and kind of the concept was just, uh, we saw, you know, new emerging lighting products entering the market, exactly CFLs, and the cost was just, like, through the roof, yeah, like, a uh, compact fluorescent light okay. You know, these days you can't give them away, but there was a point in time when they were. 30 something dollars a unit and compare that to like a 50 cent light bulb. And it's like, why am I spending this much money on a light bulb and how could that ever make economic sense? And so I pulled out my laptop, started like entering in some equations in Excel and then realized that the the light bulb or the cost of ownership of a bulb was so much greater than I ever expected when you factor the electricity that it actually uses. Mm
1: -hmm. And you start
0: to look at that over, you know, a period of six months, a year, many years. Um, you look at the replacement costs. And next thing you know, I had what was the beginning of a, a model to basically rent or lease back lighting to individuals uh, where we would pay for all the upfront costs and you pay us a percentage of savings you got every month for a period of time and then you, owned, you know, the products after that.
1: Was anybody else doing this pricing model? Uh, not with lighting. I mean, it was like it, was, it started to become... Popular. It's like lighting as a service.
0: It was lighting as a service. And that's exactly how I describe it. And what was cool was like you... Paid us to assess, analyze, design. Eventually, we were actually manufacturing our own lights, do the install, and then do paint. So it was literally...
1: And that way, you're incentivized to make it as efficient as possible to a competitor who might just be one and done and try to sell you the light.
0: Correct. Our, our incentive was how do we save you as much money as possible because if we save you more, we get paid more. Yeah. And, you know, we did all these, like, guarantees. Where we guaranteed the lights. We guaranteed um, the, the savings. So... If you save less than what we projected, you still got to you still got to pocket that amount. You just paid us less. less as
1: a How'd you come up with this idea in the first place? You don't have a lighting background.
0: No. <laughs> it was, so literally, like I, no joke, watching um, a television, but watching TV in E Tower and seeing a GE commercial come up, and then just started playing around on my laptop. And then Dinesh walked in. I was known as the kid who didn't sleep on campus. and was <laughs> like was a workaholic and so they told me i had to meet this other guy named dinesh because he was just like me and uh it's like midnight a guy comes walking in talking a mile a minute i hadn't met him before and i was like you must be dinesh and he's like you got to be enrico you're the other crazy guy i've heard i gotta meet and so uh i grabbed him like right then and there and said hey i got this idea i think it could be pretty cool to Want to talk it through with me and the next thing you know like the two of us pulled i think it was like two all-nighters in a row and had kind of the semblance of what the business model would be. And then, you know, just kept busting and started selling it and marketing it. And then, you know, we started selling it to like residential homes. Some of our professors were our first clients, which wow. was great. Once they realized that like, wow, this is really cool. The savings are there. They started asking us, can we do their businesses and commercial properties? And the next thing you know, uh, we were way over it. We were in way over our head. We did those first uh, yeah. commercial properties. But we like, because we were so worried, we overcompensated with like the software that we use to analyze and design the buildings and we just would come in with these like 3D renderings and layouts and everything and like compare that to uh, some stacks of paper with yeah Excel docs, and it you know just made us look a lot more impressive.
1: Did you bring in like a lighting expert or engineer?
0: Like, uh, and I became fascinated by the different types of lighting, like how it worked. I, I think I've always liked science, so yeah. it was like really cool to understand how different wavelengths like interact with your scotopic versus your topic nerves and eye, wow. and like <laughs> understanding how you can manipulate certain things to right. make it perceived to be more bright than it actually was. So yeah, we just. Became obsessed. Lots of late nights, early mornings. And,
1: and you had some other failed business, or not failed, but previously attempted businesses that maybe didn't get to the point you wanted before Before the lighting. Is this right?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I think I probably like, started like 12 businesses or something <laughs> like that before that. I mean, I had a, a landscaping business. I think most entrepreneurs are good place yeah. to start. A uh, gumball vending business. So I was putting machines in a bunch of places the ping pong to, like, business small, like, an energy thing. the ping pong business actually worked it was a very successful business for a period of time
1: yeah um, so you put ads on, on ping pong
0: so yeah. we were putting <laughs> ads on ping pong balls we were doing full reg jpegs on ping pong balls and like custom stuff we had like fraternities basically putting like if it was teak they might put like theta chi sucks on socks my balls or something yeah. like that <laughs> On their ping pong balls and like giving them out, like so it became this like hilarious thing where people were buying thousands of these just as like joke and for fun. And then like you know Pizza Hut and stuff would put their logo on them because they figured if people are playing with these late at night, they're probably gonna be hungry for
1: a pizza. Before you start one of these ideas, do you have a process for like okay, this is the idea, this is what I expect out of it, this is this is how I'm gonna measure success. Like how do you know? A lot of entrepreneurs, obviously, we have tons of ideas, but we um, and it's hard to know. Which ones are going to work and which ones aren't?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, I'm not a believer in business plans. I just think like if you spend too much time building a business plan, it's like too late. But I'm a big believer in, if I have an idea, then I work backwards of, all right, do the research. What's this thing going to cost me to make? Or what's the service going to cost me to provide? What's the market rates right now? Like how, how, why, or how is my thing better? What do I think it's going to cost me to find a client? Like, how many clients? What will the average client pay me? Mm-hmm. How many clients do I need to like? And then you kind of start seeing like, oh, you know, this it's kind is, of a business plan. Yeah, it's, like, it's, a, <laughs> it's a business plan, but it's like not without the formalities of it. Yeah, right? like you know, I, I do all the research, I document it all, but I don't care to like put it in like a proper format or like add all the grammatical stuff to like spell mm-hmm. it out. It's more like a bulletproof business plan um, for my own keeping. And, you know, sometimes when those numbers come back, they're like, 10 million clients for this company. To make yeah. Any sense? Other times it's like, all I need is a thousand clients and I've got a, you know, multi-million dollar business. And yeah. That becomes, and then it's like, where do I find those thousand clients? And how many clients are they going to find a week? How many weeks is it going to take me to get there? What would I do to get them? And when you kind of like work all the way through, you start to see that like some ideas, it just makes total sense and yeah. it's easy. Um, and other ideas like are way you know, it will be way more difficult to penetrate the
1: market. You're clearly a serial entrepreneur by blood. Is there like a moment you realized, like, did you go to corporate and be like, this isn't for me? Or like, when did you know you wanted to start your own business?
0: Probably when I was like 12 or 13. I mean, like, it, like, it was that young. I mean, my friends were getting jobs at like, you know, supermarket and groceries and stuff. And I just like, hated the idea of like the monotony and this like menial task that you do again and again. And. Like I said, I had like ADD, so I need to be like doing different things all the time. Me too. You know, I started just selling candy bars at like sports games. <laughs> I would have a hot dog stand in a supermarket. I I was taking, you know, I had like I think $800 in money saved up from birthdays, and I bought, used everything like up to like the age of 13 and bought a gumball machine, right? Yeah. Like I was risking. And then I got a loan from my family, asked them to like, Loan me five hundred dollars,
1: and I pay it back in this period of time plus this percent. Nice. All right. Uh, so, all right. So, walk us through. Think. Think. Uh, think Light has grown throughout throughout your time at Babson. I think you continued a little bit after Babson. Yep.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, walk us through the transition from Think Light to today, Botkeeper. Sure.
0: Uh, so, cool thing was Think Light like rapid growth. I mean, dorm our to eight and a half million revenue by the time we graduated, and it was just insane. Now, that also prompted me to, like, we I mean, made a bunch of mistakes, but you always do on your first, like, fast-growing venture, make fewer on your next one. One of the things I learned was how difficult and challenging accounting can be, especially with a fast-growing entity, and we had cash flow issues purely because of the fact that our bookkeeping couldn't keep up, uh, but we actually, like, there was a point where we couldn't make payroll one day. And here we are doing millions of dollars in revenue and our margins were great. It was just, we invested, we overleveraged ourselves in a few things, thinking the catch was there and then found that like the books were off and that totally almost screwed us. Was able to exit that business. There's uh, some investors and business that came in and uh, bought me out. Kind of from there, I decided, you know, I'm going to solve this accounting dilemma I had, you know, took the money I made from that, invested in a company called SmartBooks. We grew you know, from maybe six to 40 people over the next few years doing like, uh, accounting services, learned the industry and and what was involved in that, tried to apply some tech to it, to, you know, streamline, automate things, and then had, you know, my aha moment with what became Botkeeper, which Mm. was, use use machine learning um, to infer data and like understand what this thing is like. Is this a bill? Is it a receipt? Is it an expense? And if it is an expense, what kind of expense? And then, once you could figure that out, you could then apply the right action to it. So, like, now that I know what this thing is, what do I do with it? Mm-hmm. And the do with it is just a matter of, like, accounting rules and policies and principles. Mm-hmm. So, it can all be programmed in decision trees and, like, robotic automation. But the challenge is, like, identifying this thing and doing it consistently and more accurately
1: than a human. So, so, you entered through acquisition. You said you bought you bought oh, a, sure. a, a company that was already doing it. Um, I invested in
0: SmartBooks, okay. uh, and then sold my stake to my business partner, uh, Calvin. So Go. exited SmartBooks and then started Botkeeper completely separately.
1: And and you're not, you're not a coder, so not, when you say yeah. when you say you you understood, I guess, machine learning enough to see where it could be applied. But well,
0: I was a quant major, and so yeah. like a lot of people, they make machine learning out to be like this crazy. Like deep neural coding—it's not. It's actually just a lot of math. And yeah. If you look at what at the simplest form of machine learning is, it's just regression analysis. Yeah. So it's, it's heavy statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that really well, and I also took a com- couple computer science classes here at Babson. So I was like building databases and decision trees, and was basically apply- I was basically then applying the regression analysis to kick off
1: these decision so okay so you got your idea for bookkeeper. you've basically made yourself a subject matter expert by this time to some degree <laughs> yeah, you're laughing but I'm laughing because I, I, uh, I was joking but I was like I hate bookkeeping accounting like yeah. I hate it I think
0: yeah. I got, like, best, like, it was a B minus at Babson yeah. um, way better in math right? but the this is just something that, like I, uh, I didn't care to learn didn't want to learn but then that, didn't realize how valuable it was to the business And yet, like the joke is these days I give accounting lectures, certified public accountants need to attend my lectures to get their continuous education credits to maintain their CPA.
1: (laughs) That's insane.
0: (laughs) So here's, you know, here's a guy who, you know, isn't a public accountant, didn't get a master's in accounting. Like I wouldn't even call myself a good bookkeeper
1: kind of, I'm sure there are a lot of people visiting or like that probably it's like relief, a relief to hear because as an entrepreneur, I mean, you went from lighting to taxes. I mean, I guess you could argue that there's correlation in, in the analytics, um, that you were doing, but from an industry side, there's no, no real overlap.
0: No, I mean, I have like, no overlap at all. I, yeah. But the thing is, I think like some of the most successful entrepreneurs I've seen don't latch on to, industry per se as as much as they latch on to an innovation that they apply to one industry and then they apply it to another so like my business has been just repeat like rinse wash repeat decision trees to automate tasks to increase efficiencies and save you money did that in lighting which was yeah boring sleeping industry then went to accounting to do the same thing
1: yeah so going back to like the beginning of bookkeeper, um, you're dealing with people's bookkeeping. So I mean, it's pretty sensitive information. Yeah. I imagine the first sell must've been pretty difficult.
0: I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't. So the kind of the, the, comeback, like that, I'd always say to people, they'd be like, well, how do I know I can trust your software and like trust you? I'm like, well, look, who does your bookkeeping right now? And they'd say like, oh, well, I haven't, it's got Tom. So, so Tom has all of your bank passwords. He has all of the access to your money. He's an individual, which means that like money buys things for him. Money doesn't buy a thing for bots. Like it just there's no Louis Vuitton for bots. Mm-hmm. So he's got more incentive to steal from you. He's an individual, and yes, you trust him, but like why and how do you trust him? And does he carry insurance? Does he carry like guarantees? Like mm-hmm. what happens if you screw something up? What's his liability pol like yeah. um, all these things we have as a company? And because we have, you know. What do you guys I would ask, what are you doing for encryption? what sorts do you have on your servers? And like you start going into it and you realize like they realize very quickly that, you know, what I'm telling them about 256 bit encryption, I fly in a rest. we've got FISMA and FIPS certified, SOC two audited servers, like that we do a paperless, biometric, like just you, you keep going.
1: And you knew all this at this like at this point, at the early stages of Buckkeeper, you were already on top of all all of I knew security was going to be like the big
0: thing. So um, we made sure that we had a bunch of certifications, a bunch of security components. Like there, we're always working and like making them better.
1: Every entrepreneur starts somewhere. Are you looking for your beginning? The Blank Center for Entrepreneurship is where Babson's emerging entrepreneurs connect with the events, workshops, mentoring, and competitions that they need to build their businesses. This spring, the Blank Center will present its new venture competition, the Beta Challenge, which recognizes Babson businesses for taking action. Join the Babson community on Thursday, April 11th at the Beta Challenge finale and watch the top alumni and student teams compete for more than $200,000 in cash and prizes. To learn more, please visit www.babson.edu
0: slash betachallenge.
1: Last year, you gave me incredible uh, advice, and I heard you talking about it recently. Is you, you break down a business by like four functions, and it's kind of how you how you told me to structure my consulting business. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so walk us through like how you how you break down those functions, how you how you separate your own role from those roles.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I, I look at a business like um, a wagon, right? So there's someone that's pulling the wagon or pushing it, and that's the CEO. And then the thing that actually allows the wagon to move is the four wheels. And you need someone that's going to run accounting, finance, and call it like ops. Like that's all one role in the business. Um, you need someone that's going to run marketing. You need someone that's going to run sales. You need someone that's going to be the technical innovator. And maybe you don't need a technical innovator, but you have a technical expert. You know, So it's the person who's the best at the service that you offer or sell, or the person that truly understands the product that you manufacture or the the CTO of the you know, code that you're building. Uh, and it's your job as a CEO. Like People say a CEO is to, like set vision, and yes, that's like a part of it. But I spend most of my time, I set the vision and lead the team, but I really look at it as like, I spend most of my time making sure those wheels are running at the same pace. And kind of my the mantra I have with the company is, none of you should be looking at the other and worrying about like, am I going too fast? Can they keep up? Mm. Your focus is just to make your wheel spin as fast as possible. My job is to find the slower spinning wheels and help speed Mm. them up. And then I'm going to just keep pushing one to go faster and then keep, you know, kind of keep all of them in line. And so what I find I do is I basically jump from department to department. The reason why you need these four facets out of the gig is because if you don't have them or if you're a solo entrepreneur or two people, you're having to now manage multiple facets yourself and every second you spend on one facet is a second, that the other facets, nothing's getting done. Yeah.
1: On. yeah. So. so using your, your own wagon analogy against you, then when you start out and you don't have four wheels, you know, how did you, how did you manage the, the business to the point it is today where you could be the one pulling the wagon? You
0: need four wheels on a that gate. That's a mistake people make. So, okay. I, well, so we had, Three and I was acting as the fourth for a little while. Mm-hmm. So I was doing both the technical side of the equation as well as leading. Mm-hmm. But I made I called Louie. Um, he joined as one of the founding partners to head up sales. Called Andy joined as the, one of the founding partners to head up accounting and ops. Called Angie who joined as one of the founding partners to head up marketing.
1: Mm-hmm. And your your team that your initial team that you you built. How did you how did you find them? How did you know if you wanted to get Get, uh, you know get off to a strong start you're trying to find somebody like it's that balancing act of like I need somebody now and I need the right person you're better off delaying
0: the start and finding the right people yeah than starting without the right people yeah because you just kind of have like, half-ass it along the way and you build up a lot of technical debt or that's like what they call it yeah like, or, like, software but you you build up a lot of like you either have false starts and that doesn't look good because you know you it's in perception and emotion you get someone really excited and you need to like close them and bring them in mm-hmm. um, at that time but if you get them really excited then you kind of like let them down because you didn't close them because you didn't have the resources to do what you needed to do you basically lose that opportunity and you possibly just got them so excited that they then went and tried they found something else,
1: something else that, yeah. that would work so for me it was
0: networking I mean I networked a ton at Babson I was at like events all the time I was traveling all the time I was in entrepreneurial circles I was in Kairos I was in Basically, a bunch of different like entrepreneurial yeah. groups. I would go to, I was in mass challenges, summer ventures. I mean, I basically just met a ton of entrepreneurs and people. Yeah. Um, and then you know you just kind of keep tally on the people that stand out. Yeah, it's just a matter. Of, it's really a matter of networking and not hiring or partnering up with with real friends. Like so, mm-hmm. people who you'd like to hang out with, or you like grab beers with frequently, yeah, are people who are probably just like you. So they sca- usually share the same skill set. Like engineers tend to hang out. with yeah, yeah. hanging out with accountants, salespeople hanging out with know, salespeople. So, if you partner with people who are just like you, have the same skill set, you'll constantly be fighting over like who should be doing that thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's one of those wheels that's not being attended to, and neither of you are an expert at it. And yet now you have two partners in a company, and there's a lot of overlap.
1: Yeah. Uh, all right, let's jump to, to Blockkeeper today. I know you just raise a uh Around, how you've raised over two, 20 million in total funding. Yeah, and have over a million hours automated on bookkeeping. I also know you didn't want to raise money initially. So, yeah. from not wanting to raise money to bootstrapping to over twenty million Series A, what what happened?
0: There's a to be. There's a book out there called like, to be retro and be king. And uh, when I was building Bookkeeper, I loved the idea of like the control of running, operating, managing, you know, being beholden to no one, financing it myself, and you know, kind of, it keeps, it, you, you look at growing a business in a different way, like you grow it at a level that you can cash flow, grow it, um, or that you can afford to invest and grow it. When you raise capital, you, you're basically like investing more heavily, you invest ahead of growth, essentially. Botkeeper started to take off, and we started to realize like we were losing or missing out on opportunities to grow like, we could be growing faster if only we had more resources. So we knew where to be, we knew what to spend on, we knew um, we needed more ops to take on clients faster, we need you know, just a bunch of things. And so very quickly I saw I am not going to be able to fund this anymore like at this increasing rate and if I continue to increase the rate at which I was funding it, we'd yeah. be leaving stuff on the table. And so, good kind of a, and a half, yeah, a good on half. So, at that realization, we said, you know, all right, let's go out, and raise a seed round. We raised four and a half million. Um, Ignition Partners came in as our lead. Uh, we used that four and a half million to like really build out a product, kind of figure out product market fit, and and kind of like scale the operations that we need to to hit the next milestone. Mm. Um, you know, grew like another two and a half three x uh, that year, and then without spending much on sales and marketing side. So it was wow. cool. It was like we didn't put much money in. So the marketing, and yet we kept growing at this rate, wow. and then decided to go out and raise a large A round for growth. Um, and so we raised $18 Greycroft is the lead, and then Google's Gradient, it's their uh, mm. AI-only fund. So they came in, invested. Yeah. And both of these rounds, we had a bunch of other like, strategic investors yeah, as
1: well. Since the, the fundraising, have, have you ever to change at all, even the way that you lead the company? Because I mean, now you have, you have external stakeholders
0: to... I don't feel like I answer to a board as much as my board advises me. It's very important that you pick the right investors. So the wrong investors can totally screw a company. We were fortunate that like our rounds were very competitive. Like we started raising money in the bank in 60 days on the first round and 65 days on the second round. Um, and we had like 12 or 15 investors to choose from on the second round and like four or five on the first So with that, you can kind of pick the right people. With raising money, you grow so much faster. Like the team grows, like the rate at which you're growing, the ambition grow. So you go, you kind of move out. Like the rate at which you replace yourself in the company just happens so much faster.
1: Mm -hmm. Like
0: now, I don't touch sales at all. Like I'm maybe super high level, some advice or like a sounding board to our CRO, but I don't touch that at all. Marketing, I work with still a little bit, but like even less. Like Jess yeah. runs that. did
1: so you bring you brought in you employees? you bring yeah. yeah, in more
0: people. I mean, tech Justin's running that now. Nice. So, you know, kind of we've got like this is like almost a seven wheel wagon or six wheel <laughs> yeah. wagon at this point because we just can kind of specialize a little bit more. Yeah. And I just see that like, you know, it's all about how do I cut things off of my plate? That
1: yeah. I don't how is the the product developing? Because I was going through the website and I noticed it said like basically you get a solution that says no two businesses are exactly the same. Yeah. And when I see that in a product business I'm like that's I mean that means customization. Yeah. Um, which can be hard to scale. Um, so what was the logic behind? I, I guess that I mean obviously I haven't seen the seen the product. Maybe it's easily customizable to any any company. But
0: so you, the we we did basically very similar what we did with things. So we used to say we were custom lights. When you produce three hundred SKUs, like the how you, you know, add multiple SKUs together, like the you know, variation of the multiple SKUs for a company, at that point it's almost custom. With Botkeeper, we've produced twenty six databases, we've made twenty three microservices that are on top of it, a plethora of integrations. Mm-hmm. so what we allow you to do is like different business, different industry, turn on different functionality and we mm-hmm. like we're we, you kind of come in and we you know, kind of flip some dials and stuff, turn on the functionality that makes sense for your business to meet your business's needs. Mm. And then it's off and running. So it's not like, yes, it's customization, but it's customization where here are the 10 ways you can do it. You pick one. Yeah. Versus like, here's the one way that you can do it. Yeah.
1: We build it. it out to you. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah, we definitely don't
0: build it out. So yeah. unless like there are some weird cases, but for the most part, Everyone thinks their accounting is unique and custom and different, yeah. like 80 or 90% is exactly the same and the 10% that's different, you can pick one of the 10 options of how you want to do it. Yeah. And if it's one of those is like how you're doing it currently, great. If one of them is, if not, then pick the one that's closest and we'll do it that way.
1: Yeah. So just to quickly touch on the competition, is QuickBooks not doing not what time. you're doing? No. Now, so who would you consider your biggest competitor?
0: Biggest competition is the old way of doing it. Yeah, Like if you look at like it's a $60 billion market and if you combine the revenue from all of the newer innovative tech companies, we're probably at like maybe $50 million in revenue. Yeah, So we're like a tiny dent in the industry. And so it's more like how do we educate the people doing it the old way? This is the new way. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they'll pick, like there's just enough market there that.
1: How are you educating the market?
0: Uh, so, we do a combination of events, you know, we do ads, we do a lot of content creation. We do, it's all the typical.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: We don't do anything like magic. Where we are doing something unique is like now our competitions, like other accounting firms and bookkeeping companies, white label Blockkeeper to do the bookkeeping for their clients. Wow. And we kind of took this approach of like, we don't really, like, our brand matters, but I'd rather be the brand that, like, no one knows runs. Yeah. 90% of the company's books yeah. and the brand like everyone knows but only around the 10% of them. Wow.
1: So so I mean that's That,
0: that changed like, things. Like, that's, I mean,
1: like you're actually like a, a platform now. That,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. So we have like probably
0: about 100 accounting firms now that use us um, and that's growing. Like maybe I've probably like 25 a month at this point. Like we wow. just rolled out this
1: platform. Uh, how do you figure out what's next in the pipeline for bot- build Buildout? Do you have your clients come and tell you they want something? Or are you looking at the market and what it's doing? For am sure it's a combination. But.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I think like we're, at the end of this year, we'll probably finish building out the things that like I knew as a business owner I wanted and needed. Mm. We've got some like ideas for like things we want to do in the future. We have a client advisory board, so reach out to them and say, hey, here's what we're thinking. Do you mind testing this out? Yeah.
1: So I mean, What's your feedback? With, with all the data you're getting, you could do like sales analytics you could do you could do all all, all kinds of things from from the core of counting
0: yeah so we can tell you what the average salary is of like a senior engineer or wow by industry by geography we can tell you how many of our clients use stripe to process payments and what the average cost is um,
1: did you anticipate this going in yeah so the,
0: the idea is that like bookkeeping is kind of the church and horse into. A Data. Yeah, And then the data, the goal is to use it to make your book even better. So kind of, I look at like the, my pillars of like what makes a great bookkeeper are, you know, first the bookkeeper needs to get data in
1: accurately. Mm-hmm. That's done um, awesome. If you can get it in
0: accurate and faster. That's even better. Like, so go from accuracy on a monthly basis to accuracy on a real time basis. And then how do you open up the amount of reporting that you get? So go from having like some limited number of reports to an unlimited number of reports at whatever frequency you want. And so now you've got like the best, fastest. And then if you do all of that, like a fraction of the cost, you've nailed like the core of a bookkeeper. But now the next step is how does your bookkeeper find opportunities for you to cut costs and save money? So with the data that we have on our clients, we can tell you like, hey, you pay 80% more for paper than... Majority of our clients. Here's three vendors you could switch to, and each of them will have like this one will have this impact on savings. This one will have this one. Wow! And that's what that translates to: the gross margin or you know profit. Um, So like saving money is the next step, and then from there, how do we um, find you money? So we want to create a lending platform that allows you to like you know it's basically like Tinder for lending. Um, Yeah. Your profile is anonymous, but like the financial metrics associated with it are available. Banks can see those, make proposals, and if you like both like each other, you can each swipe right, and you know the line loan, maybe even venture funding gets done. We did everything accurately for as low cost as possible. We are finding ways to increase your margins. We're finding ways to give you money to grow. And the last part is like how do we actually improve the operation. Like how do we help op- automate? operational decisions in your business that have accounting results or financial implications, mm. you know, you need to hire an engineer. You don't know where your hiring plans are. Mm. We can tell you what you should probably spend on those
1: people. Last question, not related to the bug but it's like the one thing I remember when you came and spoke last year to us, your methodology for like work ethic is insane. Tell us about your methodology really quick and maybe some tools you use to, to stay on top of it.
0: Sure. Uh, so I mean, so I look at it as um, every hour that I'm working, additional to like a 40 hour work week, is an hour I'm getting ahead of the competitors. So if I do an 80 hour work week, I get two full work weeks done in one week, which means I'm moving twice as fast. They go beyond that. Like, it's all a matter of when do you think you're, like in sports, when do you think your competition, like, gave up? Like, what rep did they give up at? And how many more reps do you need to do to, like, be stronger faster than they are um, and so in business the same way it's like every additional hour you spend like either catching up on emails or whatever is getting you ahead for the next day I've like been playing around with a weird sleep schedule where I try to get up around like 3 or 3.30 in the morning wow, um, so that I can get like an 8 hour day in by noon and then get another 8 hour day in by 8 and then basically take a couple hours to like spend family and sleep and do Thanks for listening to this week's Babson Built, where we showcase Babson entrepreneurs and founders. If you have a second, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We take feedback seriously here at Babson Built, and it helps other listeners find us. If you know a Babson entrepreneur who should be featured, email us at babsonbuilt at gmail.com.